and we're going to talk about my church. Everybody say my church. And that, this is the series we're going to start uh, today. And really, it's a perfect series to continue what we started talking about last week when we talked about vision. And we talked about vision last week. If you weren't here, you can get online and listen to it. We talked about a vision worth believing in. And we mentioned that uh, the future of our church is going to be different than the past. And it's not bad. It's just going to be different. In every season, there's things that change. The only thing that doesn't change is the Word of God. And so you got to change when God tells you to move. you got to move when God tells you to move. you got to do things different if God tells you to do, do things different. Because it's worth it, and people are worth it, and your families are important, and your children and your grandchildren are worth it that we make these changes. And so we realized that um, we need to move, we need to change. And last week, if you weren't here, we're not going to preach that same message. But we talked about vision, and specifically, what is the vision for this church in the future? What is our goal? What are we uh, aiming for? What are the kind of people we're looking for? What kind of church are we going to be? So you can listen to that. Uh, it's online. But today we want to talk about my church because it has to do with the importance of the local church in your life. And so let's read in Matthew 16 and verse 13. Matthew 16 and verse 13, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, and some of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And verse 17, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Verse 18, key verse for this series. It says, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. But notice Jesus, this is red letter, so he is speaking. And he says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So today we want to talk about my church, and uh, the title of my message today is Better Together. Better Together. Look at your neighbor and say, Better Together. How many times can you say that fast? It sounded like you said butter after a while there. Better together. So we're going to talk about my church, but specifically better together. Now, the church of Jesus Christ is the most powerful thing on the earth today. And has been for the past 2,000 years. And will always be when the church is still on the earth. The church is the most powerful thing. Government is not the most powerful thing. Dictators are not the most powerful thing. Violence and military are not the most powerful thing. Disease and poverty is not the most powerful thing. The church of Jesus Christ is the most powerful thing on the earth. And you say, well, it's pretty bad right now on the planet. You should see it without the church. It's good compared to what it could be right now if the church wasn't here. And Jesus said when... It gets closer to him coming back that the church needs to shine brighter than it's ever shined before. The church needs to be bigger and better than it's ever been before. The church needs to be a church without spot or without wrinkle, a church that shines in the darkness. And we're going to go out in power and glory, not feeble and weak and barely getting by. That's the way the church is because the church is not just an organization. 
The church is not just a religion. The church is the body of Christ on the earth. So that means we don't just have human power. We have the power of God helping us as his bride on the earth, as the body of Christ on the earth. The church is the most powerful thing. Why? Because God himself is backing it up. And God himself is using it as the hands and feet of Jesus on the earth. Jesus is the head, but guess what? The church is the body. And that's why the church is the most powerful thing that exists. Some would say that there's 2.2 billion believers on the planet that make up the church. So when I talk about church, I'm not just talking about this local church. You need to think bigger than that. There is people in every country, in every village, in every island all around the world right now that are your family and that are a part of, of your church because that is the church of Jesus Christ. You might not know them, but they're still your family. And they're changing parts of the world that we don't even know about today because the news won't tell you. People won't tell you when people are being reached in countries that you never heard of and the islands you've never been to, but the church is there. And the church of Jesus Christ is the most powerful thing that's on the planet. The church is God's idea, not man's idea. Now we see that the church has had problems when man gets involved and tries to make the decisions more than God. That's why people get hurt. That's why uh, people don't like the term religion or church because it's more men have got involved with God's original idea. It's God's idea, though. And we don't need to throw the baby out with the bathwater just because men and women have changed it and, and made a bad name for the church. That's not God's fault. That's people's fault. But it's originally God's idea was the church. And you realize there is more hospitals today built by the church than any other organization. There's more people today being fed, being clothed, being given water, being healed, being delivered by the church of Jesus Christ than any other organization or any other religion on the planet. There's more universities and schools and everything else you can imagine because of the church of Jesus Christ. And there's no organization or religion that comes close to what the church has done. So yes, there has been a couple bad sheep that were in the church of Jesus Christ. But let's not throw the whole thing away because a couple people messed up. Because as a whole, you realize the church has changed the world. And is still changing the world. And the amazing part is that all of us in here today in New Albany, Indiana, get to be a part of it. The church of Jesus Christ, the most important thing that you could ever give your life to being a part of. The most powerful thing you could ever give your life for. The most important in light of eternity, the only thing that's going to matter is what's done for Christ and his church. That's all that's going to matter. So we have the privilege of being a part of the church of Jesus Christ. So we're going to try to answer some questions in the next um, several weeks. And some questions like, what is the church? Is it important? Does it even matter anymore? Now, we live in 2016. We live in the United States of America, which is the most independent, not necessarily a good thing, um, culture around the world. Other cultures are not independent like we are. And being independent and being American is not necessarily being scriptural. Hello, somebody. 
So this attitude of I'm independent and I can do my own thing seeps into what we think about the church, which is not scriptural, it's pride and it's more American way. Not necessarily what the Bible says. So we need to make sure we're a Christian before we're American. Hello, somebody. God bless USA, but we're a Christian and a believer before we're a part of the United States of America. We belong to God first, not the United States of America. And so some things might be a cultural thing. Well, you got to lay down your culture for the scriptures. You have to lay down your notion or your pride if the scriptures say something differently. And the scriptures say that we need each other, not that we should be independent. And the scripture says that we're better together than we are apart. So let's look at this word, church. Matthew 16, in verse 17. You guys still here this morning? Matthew 16, in verse 17, it says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. More baby names for anybody who's looking. I, I'm just coming out with them every week. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. In verse 18, Jesus said it, and I will say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Notice Jesus said, I will build my church. I will build my church. That's why the church can't be stopped, because Jesus is building it. So who can stop Jesus? Nobody. And we realize that we get to be a part of building his church, but ultimately, Jesus is the one building it, but we get to be co-laborers with him who is the head of the church to help build his church on the earth. But Jesus, notice he says, it's my church. Jesus takes it personal. You know, it's something interesting when uh, Saul, who ultimately became Paul, was knocked off his donkey because he was persecuting the church. Jesus said, why do you persecute me? Now, why would Jesus say that? Because Jesus was in heaven, not on the earth. Saul had never thrown a stone at Jesus physically. Saul had never thrown Jesus in jail physically. Saul had never beat up Jesus physically. But he had beaten up the church. And he had helped stone the church. And he had thrown people that were in the church in jail. But Jesus takes it personally and he says, why do you persecute me? Because Jesus and the church are one. You can't separate them. And that's why it all also gives the example that the church is the bride of Christ. In the same way a husband and wife become one, Jesus and the church are one. And you can't separate the two. And so we see here that Jesus says in Ephesians 5 that he loved the church and he gave himself for the church. So I want to ask you today, do you love the church and you give yourself for the church? Because if you love Jesus, you'll love what he loves, which is the local church. And if you have a relationship with Jesus, you're going to take it personal, the church. Because Jesus loves the church, Jesus gave himself for the church, and Jesus thinks the church is important. And he takes it very personally and calls it my church. It's my church. Now, this word church is the Greek word ekklesia. Now, the word ekklesia means a group of called out ones. 
It also means an assembly of believers or a community of believers. But notice, every time this word ecclesia is mentioned, which is the word for church in the original language, it always is in the plural, not singular. It has nothing to do with you by yourself sitting at Coffee Crossing, watching online church, being your own pastor. I'm preaching to you, I ain't saying nothing this morning. I knew you'd get quiet on this. But I'm an individual because I'm an American. Okay, let's think about the scriptures. The scriptures say that this word church means a group of called out ones. It also means an assembly of believers or a community of believers. It has nothing to do with this idea of I'm by myself, just me and Jesus. I'm a part of the church. I need to do my own thing. That's unscriptural. And how many know we don't get to make up our mind what's right and wrong? We go to the Word of God and see what, says, see what the Word of God has to say about this. And the Word is called out ones, an assembly of believers, a community of God's people. So church is God's idea first, not man's idea. Church is God's idea. Church is God's plan. You realize the church is the vehicle that God is using for His will to be done on the earth. Church is the hope of the world on the earth. You realize the local church is the hope of the world. You say, well, Jesus is. Yes, Jesus is, but he's working through his church. So the church of Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. It's God's plan. It's God's idea. It's the way that God's will is done on earth. You guys still listening this morning? And we see that God's will will not be done unless the church does it. Are you hearing me this morning? So many times people in the church world will feel like that it's God's responsibility, it's God's job. We're waiting on God to move. We're waiting on God to send revival. He already wants to. He's waiting on us. And the sooner we figure that out, the sooner that the church will do mighty things in the world. The sooner the church will take over the world and help people and heal people and save people because God is waiting on us. We're not waiting on God. God is waiting for the church to rise up and do something. And he says, when you do something, I'll back you up. I'll give you my power. I'll give you my peace. I'll give you my healing power. I'll give you my delivering power. But you got to do something. We're waiting on a move of God, but God's waiting on a move of man. And that's his church. And so we realize that church is God's idea and it's God's way of his will being done on the earth. Now, before we get into the, uh, the other part of our message, we want to talk about some things about the church. What is the church? I want to deal with about five things that people will say about the church that's not true, that people will use as excuses to not be a part of a church. These are my favorite. Now, I've preached about this at the quarry before, and these are my f- favorite things to talk about. Hopefully not in a mocking way, but it might come out a little bit mocking. Uh, because I've heard them before from so many people, and they're so bogus, and they're so immature. It's funny mentioning them, but maybe some of you have thought these things before. Now, before I mention these, even if I hadn't heard them, you'll see it if it's on TV or movies they imply these things even in the movies and television and music that we listen to about the church. 
So even if you haven't heard somebody say this or even thought this, this is kind of a cultural thing that people think about the church. And we're going to deal with every one of them. We're going to grab every sacred cow, and we're going to just chop them up right here at the altar. All right? We're going to have some filet mignon before we leave. And so we're going to deal with these issues. So, so let me hear, let me, let me start here. And we mentioned this a second ago, but let me deal with this. People say, I love Jesus, but not the church. Well, let me go back to what we said before. You can't love Jesus and not the church. Now, if Jesus says he loves the church and gave himself for it, there is no way to honestly say that you could say, I love Jesus and not the church, and God not convict you of that statement. Because he loves the church and he gave himself for the church. So people, a lot of times, especially in the culture we live in today, that don't want organized religion, love to say, well, we love Jesus, but not the church. You can't separate the two. Because the church and Jesus are one. Here's another one. This is fun. Now, you don't have to write these down, but you can if you want. The church is full of hypocrites. That's why I don't go to church. And the answer is... Yes. Can we be honest for a second? Every person in this place is a hypocrite. You're not? Every person in this church is a hypocrite. Including myself. Your pastor is a hypocrite. Because there's things we've all said and said we believed in and have done the opposite thing the very next day. So everybody in here is a hypocrite. But so many people say, I don't want to come to church because they're all hypocrites. Yes, they are. And when you come, you'll be one too. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Because we all are. The church never said it wouldn't be that. You realize that this idea that we're all hypocrites so I don't come makes no sense because we're not here to worship each other anyways. Every person in this house is not a perfect person. But you don't come to church for other people. You don't come to church to worship a pastor. We come to church to worship the one who is perfect, not us. So this idea, I don't want to come to church because people aren't perfect there. Duh. Every person on the planet is not perfect. We're all hypocrites. That's why we need a Savior, a.k.a. the gospel that we say we believe in, because we can't save ourselves, because we're not perfect. But we come to church. What's the purpose you come to church? Not just so you can hang out with other people and worship other people. We're here to worship the one who is perfect. That's why we come. I'm preaching this morning. I don't know if you hear what I said. You're like, why did you call me a hypocrite? We all are. Just, just let it go. It's the truth. But we come to church to worship a perfect God. Here's one. I've been hurt by the church. Now, this goes back to the point I just mentioned. I've been hurt by the church. The reason we've all been hurt in the church is because we're imperfect people. So everybody in this place and everybody around the world that's part of the church, you're going to be hurt by somebody because they're not God and they're not perfect. 
And so this idea of, I don't want to come to church because I've been hurt. And notice, they usually say, I've been hurt by the church, but it's usually one person. Don't give up the whole church just because one person messed with your emotions or feelings. They're not God anyways. You're not serving them. You're serving God. And so I've been hurt. They say, I've been hurt by the church like it was all 300 of us that hurt them. No, it was one person who didn't act right, we're not saying it was right, and hurt your feelings, and you're going to give everything up because you got hurt. And let me say this. In every church, it's going to happen. And you know what? There's been some things in this church that shouldn't happen that happened. And you know what? I apologize for that. You received that apology? And I've said things that I shouldn't have said to people. The pastor. And I've said things that I shouldn't have said. I've done things I shouldn't have done. So I'm sorry for that. <laughs> oh, you guys love each other right now. <laughs> and so sometimes it's legitimate. People have really been hurt in church. We're not saying it's not. But that's no reason to give up church altogether because of one person. That's the same way saying, and you wouldn't say this because I know you wouldn't say this. You live in America. McDonald's hurt me one time, so I'm not going to go back to McDonald's. you still going back. And it hurts you more than one time. Same, same way with Taco Bell. But we continue to go back to McDonald's, and we know it's hurt us more than one time. Last week, for me, it hurt me. Like, why do I keep doing this? I know better. But for some reason, when it pertains to the church, one time we're out. You've been hurt at Target and Walmart before, but you keep going back. Is that not the truth? But one person saying one thing to you, I'm gone. I'm out. You know, a lot of times, to be honest, and I'm not saying anything bad about anybody who's left this church, a lot of times, whether it's this church or another church, when people leave the church offended, majority of time, they don't find another church. And it's not because they can't find another church. When they get offended, they believe that all churches are going to hurt them, and they'll stay home the rest of their lives and hurt themselves because of that decision. You know what? If you legitimately got hurt here and you want to go somewhere else, go somewhere else. If you're getting fed and you're in a church, God bless you. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? But don't just leave and throw the church away because of one person. So we say, I've been hurt. I told you, we got to get some filet mignon in the house of God this morning. Here's one. Well, the church is just a building. Well, yes and no. We realize in here, we're, we're not people that believe you have to be in the house of God to experience the presence of God. We know that's not true. But there is something special about the house of God. And we see this especially in the New Testament that, yes, we make up the house of God. But when we come together, we are the house of God. Now, we know that the family of God is not a house, but every family needs a house. That's why we have buildings and budgets and baptism and babies. Is because we need it. 
So the reason we have buildings is to facilitate the family of God. We have to have this. And don't act like you'd rather be outside in the yard with no air conditioning and no seat and no sound system. No, you wouldn't. And so we, we need a place to have worship. We need a place to gather. Whether it's this place or somewhere else, we need a building. But we know we don't worship the building. You realize if we sold this property and land to a business down the street and we left, this wouldn't be a church anymore because we're not here. It would just be a business. So we realize when we're not here, this doesn't necessarily mean this place is a church because we make up the church. So wherever we go together, that's where the church is. But we still need buildings and we still need AC, amen, in the house of God. And we still need Sound systems, especially a nice one like we got now. But we realize we don't worship a building or a place. We worship God, but we need buildings. Now, here's the fun one. I mentioned this a little bit earlier. I'm a part of the global church, just not a local church. Well, once again, yes and no. When you're born again, you're part of the global church. But God will send you specifically to a local church. And there is no such thing as a New Testament believer who didn't have a local church. R- read the Bible. There is no such thing. And let me, re- let me say this right here. A hundred times is the word church mentioned in the New Testament. Ninety of those times refer to a local church. Every letter you read in the New Testament is to a local church. Or a group of local churches. Every book you read by a leader like Peter or James or John were leaders in the local church. So there is no such thing as a New Testament follower of Jesus that doesn't have a local church. There's no such thing. If we're going to be obedient to the scriptures, that's what it says. We can't say we're a part of the global, it's easy to say global church because then you have no responsibility. You have nobody speaking into your life. You have no friends that are challenging you. I'm a part of the global church, the global church. And you probably have coexist on your bumper sticker too. So, sorry, I apologize if you got that on your bumper sticker. And you got your organic free trade sweater that you knit together that you're wearing also. Um, God bless you. All right. I like Bartstown Road too. I'm not against it. I like Bartstown Road. I can get down with it. But this, this ethereal Narnia, I'm a part of the global church and not a part of the local church, is bogus. It's called, you don't want any person speaking into your life, so you want to say that to sound spiritual, which you're not. It's called, you're disobedient to the scriptures. Man, I thought he was a pastor, but I don't know today. (laughs) So we realize when we talk about the global church, that God will give you a local church. Let me say this again. If it's not this church, go find the right one. And I'm not saying that in a mean way. I'm saying that in a legitimate way. Because if you are saved and born again, God will lead you to a local church. Whether it's this one or another one, there's no such thing as 
I'm just praying about it. I'm just waiting for God to tell me something. No, God's going to lead you to a local church. Whether it's in New Albany or whether it's somewhere else, God has a church for you that you need to be a part of because that is what the Scripture teaches. We still here this morning. <laughs> All right. Let's go to 1 Timothy 3. Everybody still good this morning? Still having a good time? Nobody's too offended about the coexist bumper sticker, right? You know why I know that? Because I've hung out a lot on Bardstown Road in years past. So, <laughs> help me, Jesus. <laughs> help me, Jesus. I'm able to relate to all cultures and all, all styles. I'm a hybrid individual, so I kind of can float. 1 Timothy 3.15. You guys still here, still listening this morning? We're talking about my church, Better Together. So, after we got that out of the way, let's talk about something different. Maybe we gave you some answers today on some of those comments you've heard before. 1 Timothy 3, verse 15, it says, But if I'm delayed, I write so you, you may know how to conduct yourself, notice, in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. Do you know that your college professors are not the pillar and ground of truth? <laughs> no truer words were ever said. <laughs> CNN is not the pillar and ground of truth. Some person who wrote a bestseller book who thinks they know everything about the universe is not the pillar and ground of truth. Just because they got a lot of books sold and they sound intelligent when they're talking. It says that the church is the pillar and ground of truth on the earth. And it says that the church, notice, is the house of God on the earth. So the first thing we want to talk about here, I got three things before we close. The church is the house of God. The church is the house of God. And we see that God always wanted to build a house for his people. Now we know this when you study the Old Testament. With the children of Israel and Moses. That when God brought his people out of Egypt. He set up a tabernacle. And the tabernacle in that Old Testament was the house of God. That's where people worshipped God. That's where people gave sacrifices. That's where people gave offerings. And that was the house of God. In the Old Testament, that's where God's presence dwelled, was in the tabernacle. Now, something interesting about the house of God in that Old Testament tabernacle is when the children of Israel were camping out in the wilderness for 40 years, God had them put the tabernacle in the middle. That's not an accident. The tabernacle or the house of God was at the center of all of God's people. It was the main thing. It wasn't an addendum that it was outside the camp. No, it was in the middle and the center of their lives. So all of the different tribes of Israel were camped out around the tabernacle, which was the house of God. So that their life was around the house of God. 
the center of their life was the house of God. And they placed a huge importance on the presence of God. That's why the house of God or the tabernacle in the Old Testament was in the middle of the camp. But we see we went on later to David and Solomon and once the nation of Israel actually started having some kings and they had some money and they got back to Jerusalem. The David and Solomon had it in their heart to build God a temple. Not just a tabernacle. A tabernacle, they could move around because it was like a tent structure. But the temple was a place that God would be worshipped at. And if you know anything about the temple, which there was a couple of temples built by David and Solomon, we know that the temple was amazing. There's probably nothing on the planet today to be like that temple. Probably most people don't have enough money today to build that kind of temple. Because it was, it was in gold, it was with diamonds and rubies, it was in marble, the place was huge, it was magnificent. Why? Because they said, this is for God, so we're going to make it the best it can be. We're not going to just give God the scraps or a little tent, we're going to give God everything. How many know the same thing today? If we're going to have a place that we meet for the house of God, it should be the best. The best classrooms, the best sound system, the best chairs. Hello, somebody. The best facilities, the best that you can get because God deserves the best. And you know what? You deserve the best because you're God's children. And so we shouldn't be struggling. The churches in our community shouldn't be the slums of New Albany. It shouldn't be the churches that, you know, it's half painted and there's weeds growing up and there's stuff coming out of the side of the building and squirrels are having a little nest in the windows. No, the church should be the best of the best because it belongs to God. And that when people look at the church, they're impressed because they see God in that place. And not just God in the building, but God in the people because we give God the best. But we see that they had a temple in the Old Testament where David and Solomon, but we know the temple was tore down. But we see the New Testament comes and Jesus comes on the scene who is the house of God in physical form. We know he goes to the cross, he dies for us, but he sends back the spirit of God. So we know that all of us in here individually, we make up the house of God. Your body right now is housing the spirit of God. You are a walking Ark of the Covenant. Listen, you don't got to watch an Indiana Jones movie. You are an Indiana Jones movie right now. You are a walking Ark of the Covenant. Hopefully nobody's eyes are popping out and nobody's melting beside you. But you are a walking Ark of the Covenant. Now, you're not as powerful as, as the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament. But we see that we are carrying the presence of God, but also He needs a place. For his people to meet together. And it says that the church in verse 15 is the house of God in the New Testament. So we come to the house of God, but we also are the house of God. You guys listen to what I'm saying today. Now let's look at Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3. Well, I'm glad you came this morning. I'm feeling better and better about this message the further we go. Number two, we want to talk about the church is the family of God. The church is the family of God. Ephesians 3, and we'll read in a moment. So we see that, what is the church? The church is the family of God on the earth, but also in heaven. 
go all the way back to Genesis, the reason God created mankind because he wanted a family. God created man and woman, mankind, because he wanted a family. Really, the story of the Bible is the father and his family. A lot of times we don't look at God that way. We see him as a judge or a boss or a slave driver. But he's your dad. And he's your father. And it's family. It's not a co-worker relationship. It's not that he's your boss and he's demanding this and this and this of you. God is a father. And God wants a family. And the church is the family of God. God always wanted a family. That's why Adam and Eve came. And we know Adam and Eve messed it up. But God didn't throw away his family just because Adam and Eve messed it up. He put in place redemption so that his family could be redeemed. And he could get his family back. And he did get his family back. We see in the New Testament, why does it refer to people in the New Testament like this? It says you need to look at the older men like fathers, the older women like mothers. You need to look at the younger women like sisters and the youngers like brothers. Why? Because it's family. I think it's interesting that he, he uses family terms for people in the church. Why? Because God wants a family and the church should be a family. We should treat each other like father, mother, brother, sister. Because that's what we are. And realize that the church family can sometimes be stronger than your natural family. Because the connection is deeper. It's not just a blood relative. It is the blood of Jesus that has made us family. And that's stronger than any race and any culture and any color and any background. I'm more loyal to the family of God than my natural family. Because that's what's important. And God makes his family. Notice Ephesians 3 and verse 14. It says, this is Paul praying. He says, for this reason I bow my knee, notice, to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named. So you realize you have relatives you have never met before that is in heaven right now? You have aunts and uncles and cousins and sisters and brothers and grandpas and grandmas and great-great-great-great-great-great-grandpas that are in heaven right now. And Jesus says through the Apostle Paul that God is the Father and we have a family in heaven and on earth. Now, we're a part of the family on earth right now, but you've got to realize there is millions and millions of family members in heaven right now. And we're all a part of the same family. But I find that interesting. He mentions that. It's not just about the family on earth. It's about the family in heaven. And you realize today your family in heaven is cheering you on right now? Come on, somebody. Your, ham, your, your family in heaven is, is praying for you right now is encouraging you right now, like the book of Hebrews says, that they're cheering you on from the grandstands that you can make it, and you can do it, and you can go for it. And there's millions of them that went on before us. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, David, Solomon, Esther, Ruth, Jeremiah, Isaiah, 
Malachi, all the early apostles, they're in heaven right now, Peter, James, and John, and they're all rooting for us right now. And they're all praying for us right now because God wants a family. And the church, notice, is the family of God. Not just on the earth, but on the earth and in heaven. The church is God's family. That's important. I don't know if you got something from that. And lastly, the church is the community of God. The church is the community of God. Let's look at the book of Acts 2. Acts 2. I can tell you're with me this morning. I appreciate that. <laughs> the church is the community of God. And this is what I want to end with and, and share a couple things in my heart towards the end and challenge you guys. The church is the community of God. It's a divine community. Now, Acts 2 in verse 41. Now, we're going to read this, and a lot of you have read this before. But Acts 2, 41 through 47 is the first 3,120 believers on the first day of the church. And it tells in these passages what they started doing together as that first early church. You realize the first church was a mega church on day one. 3,120 people, day one. That's a lot of people. And it tells what they did. And we should model our lives and our church around what these early believers did. It says, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added. And they continued, notice, steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and prayer. Then fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, because we're better together, aren't we? And had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and good and divided them among all as anyone had need. Verse 46, so continue, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church, notice, daily. Not just on Sundays. Daily, those who are being saved. Now we see that the church is the community of God on the earth. It's a divine community. Now, why do you need community? You realize every person on the planet is looking for community. Every person on the planet is looking for family. A lot of people try to go about it different ways. They go through it, you know, let me play sports so I get on a team. Uh, let me join a club. Let me be a part of this association. Let me be a part of the neighborhood watch. I don't know. People join all sorts of things for the sake of community. I want to be a part of something that's bigger than myself. A lot of times those things, and let's be honest, are pointless. Uh, no, nobody said anything on that one. Okay. A lot of times those things, majority of time, are pointless in light of eternity. When all of long, you could have been a part of the community of God, and it can matter. 
a lot of times we go to other things for community when the church has it all along. The church is the divine community, the community of God on the earth. You know, in the beginning, God said to Adam, it's not good that you're alone. He wasn't just talking about a woman. He was talking about you need other human beings around you. Because it's not good for you to be alone. It's the same way that's true for us. You are not okay by yourself. And God knows that. And God said that. It's not good that you're alone. We know in the book of Proverbs it says, A man or woman who isolates himself is not wise. I'm going to comment on something, and this was already in my notes, but mom said it, run with the herd. There's a reason that animals stick together for safety. We know that if you've ever watched Shark Week before, the lone dumb seal who is pastoring himself at Coffee Crossing. is the seal that goes off. And guess what? The big shark goes after that one because there's safety in numbers. He doesn't go for all the seals together. He goes for the one who wants to walk off by himself. Same thing in Africa with the lions. It's the lone antelope that wants to do his own Bible study by himself. Guess what? The lion goes for him, not the group of antelopes together. Why? Because we're better together. And I don't know about you, but there's safety in numbers. When we stick together, the devil doesn't want to mess with us. But when we're alone, that's when the enemy takes advantage of us. And we all know this to be true. When we're together, we don't have crazy thoughts. It's when you go home and you're by yourself, you start having thoughts. Why? Because the enemy takes advantage of us when we're alone. You know, when you get in trouble, you're usually by yourself. You're not at church with other people who believe God. Because God never meant for us to be alone. God created us for community. God created us for fellowship. God created us for each other. I'm preaching. I don't know if you're saying anything this morning. (laughs) Because we're better together. And there's safety in numbers. And trust me, we all have learned the hard way by going and trying to do it by ourselves. And we get in trouble every time. We get discouraged every time. We get depressed every time. We get into sin every time when we're by ourselves. But we need each other. God says we need each other. We need a divine community. Man, I'm feeling good about this message. The more we go on here. Because we need each other. The church is the community of God. And as we close here, let me ask you a couple things here. This is something that you notice all throughout the book of Acts, which is our example as the church. The church gathered on Sunday. That's why we still have that tradition today. Because we know in the first series, we talked about this. In the Jewish world, the first day of the week is Sunday. Same day Jesus rose from the dead. It is called the Lord's Day. 
Now, we realize if we met a different day, it would be okay and God would still show up. But it's a tradition. We meet on Sunday, which is the Lord's Day. It's the first day. And you see this in the book of Acts. They would gather on Sunday, but then they would scatter during the week. And not scattered in the sense, in a bad way, but scattered in a good way. On Sundays, they would gather together at the temple or a house of God like this for preaching and teaching and ministry time. But they would also scatter during the week and go to each other's homes and go out to eat with each other and go shopping together and go do life together during the week. Let me challenge you today. I feel like a lot of us are not missing it on the gathering. We need to do life with each other outside these four walls. That's where a lot of us are missing it. If you don't talk to anybody at this church or any of your brothers and sisters in Christ between this Sunday and next Sunday, you're not really doing life in a community at church. Because God meant us to do life together. And you're saying, I'm too busy. Busy with what? Busy with what? Too busy to do life with the people God has called you to do life with? You're awful quiet in this Methodist church. Because God called us to do life together. And notice, it doesn't have to be a spiritual setting. It could be, let's go eat a Qdoba. It could be, let's meet up and play golf. It could be, let's go shopping. Let's go get coffee. And you know what? Every time you do that, it's not just natural, it's supernatural. And iron is sharpening iron, and you're getting better, and you're getting stronger, and you're getting mightier because you're not doing life by yourself, and you're doing life in the community of God. And if God says it's important, then it's important to not just gather, but to go scatter during the week together and to do life with one another. Even if it's just a text message or a phone call, it makes a difference. And some of you are missing out on the wonderful experience of community because you want to be alone. And trust me, you don't need to be alone. You shouldn't trust yourself alone. I don't trust you alone. I don't trust myself alone. I need each other. I don't know how many times, and this is just the way I am, myself and my mother are like this. The more people, the better. We're we're just those kind of people. But I don't know about you. When I've been discouraged, some of you look like you're grumpy right now, and I have no reason why you would act that way. There would be no reason on the planet that you would act that way right now. I was about to say something. I mean, you guys just... Come on now. This is one of the best messages you've ever heard. You're going to act grumpy about that? Come on. Miss Marion's helping me even if nobody else wants to. Anyways, back to my point here. This is the only time I'm going to say it. Me and my mother are alike in this way. The only time I'm ever going to say this. I don't know about you, but maybe some of you are like myself. I know when I'm discouraged, when I'm having a bad week, the thing that I look forward to the most is if I can get to church, I get excited, I get refreshed, Even before the message takes place, just talking to people who are my family 
in the house of God makes me feel better. And I said feelings. Come here a minute. Run with the herd that speaks the word. She's rapping. She's rapping. She's going to drop a mixtape 2016. Watch out. Maybe it's just me, but I know it's supernatural that happens. Even if we just meet up, me and Chad still know this the best because we see each other so much during the week. If me and Chad are having a bad day, when we meet up and go to eat, we feel ten times better when we leave because God is there and he's helping us and it's supernatural what happens when you be a part of the community of God. By the end of this, y'all better just run out of this building. Not because you're mad, because you're excited. (laughs) But notice the church is the community of God, and it's supernatural. Don't downplay it that it's not special and it's not supernatural. And I really feel like, as the pastor of this church, that that's where we're missing it. Not so much on the gathering. A lot of you are here every Sunday, every service. But what are you doing when you're not here? That's just as important to God and to me. Because that's where real growth happens, not necessarily when you're just here all the time. What are you doing with the other hundreds of hours Then you're not here? This is really only a a small portion of your life that you're actually here. But are we doing life with each other outside this church? You're missing out if you're not doing that. And you know what? Right now, we're not at the place to do something like a, a group setting or small groups or connect groups. That's something that we're still praying about. We're looking into we're going to probably do in the future because we know we need to. If you have a growing church, you need to have some sort of group system. And we're not necessarily implementing that right now, like I said. But that doesn't mean you can't do it on your own. I give everyone in this house full permission to hang out with each other as much as you would like to. (laughs) And to do life with each other. And if somebody asks you, say, the pastor said so. He told me I could do this. But notice, just because we don't have a small groups right now or connect groups or any of those things in place yet, doesn't mean you can't still do life with each other. And I encourage you, some of you who have been doing life with each other for a long time, start pursuing people that may be outside of your box. Start pursuing people that maybe you normally don't talk to. Start pursuing people and doing things with people that maybe you don't know yet. Yes, it might be uncomfortable at first, but that's how you grow the church. That's how you meet new people. That's how you grow in your relationship with God. Not just just the same group hanging out. And it's easy. It's easy for me to do that. But we need each other. And the church is the community of God. So I want to challenge everybody in here. Let's not just focus on the gathering, but focus on the scattering together. You guys take up that challenge? That we're not going to just do church on Sundays, but we're going to do church all week long with people. And we're going to stop making excuses. I'm too busy. I got too much going on. One of these days, you've got to prioritize your life. What's really important? What's really important for my spiritual health? What's really important for my children's life? What's really important for my future? Not all these hobbies, not all this busyness. It's being a part of the church. 
well, I'm done today. I gave every last bit I could give. <laughs> Did you guys get something this morning? 